Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Only Foals and Racehorses podcast. Wow, episode nine. That is just amazing. So this is going to be another slightly short one because we're talking about the sales and um, that obviously is quite a short period of time. And it was the end of my time at um, Coolmore, but it was exciting all the same and literally blew my mind on, you know, what what the potential of thoroughbreds could be. Yeah, so let's get on with it. Of course, the whole point of um, all what we were doing was to get these yearlings to the sales. I'd only been to, obviously, British sales at this point, so it was all going to be a bit eye-opening. And it was really quite different to what I'd ever experienced before. Even before we got to Sydney, it was... Uh, absolutely just crazy how we got the horses there so over there they have much bigger trucks than what we do they're semis so a bit like the american ones that you've seen we traveled in those trucks with the horses um which traveling in those is very different to traveling in the uk horse box they're really really cold so the horses um, themselves probably hadn't ever been on a horse box before these yearlings i think we gave them a little bit of sedation but i don't remember really any sedation being involved they were booted up and loaded on the trucks in orders ready to go and that was that we put all our bags on we took the long trip down to sydney a bit like uh, when you go to Tastel's in Newmarket, it's all in the middle of the, the, the town or, well, city. Um, obviously, Sydney is so immense that it's more like lots and lots of different towns all joined together. We got there and unloaded, which was all pretty standard. There was people there already, so they knew where we'd got to go. They told us what we'd got to do and the beds were all ready for the horses and some of them were obviously washed off. And then we left them to settle in and we were taken to our hotel. The hotel was amazing. I've never experienced anything like it. So uh, we were all in apartments. We'd sort of been grouped together. I can't remember if they asked us who wanted to go with who, but I was sharing an apartment with Lynn, obviously because I'd shared with her in the house anyway. And then we had Hilla and whoever shared with Hilla, I think. So I think they just basically put the houses together. And there were self-catering apartments, so absolutely stunning. Like the views over Sydney were just gorgeous. As part of what we had, uh, we had some uniform and we were told every night that we were to leave our uniform out and they collect it, wash it, and then it was returned to us the next morning all nice and clean, which is a million miles away from what you get when you do the yielding sales in Newmarket. We have to do everything yourself. But everything was really, really well thought out. Obviously, they wanted us to have a standard. So we all looked the same and we all looked stunning. And yeah, that was that. The uniform was quite nice, actually. Um, because it was the Easter sale, it wasn't as warm as the sales that are more around Christmas time. So we did actually have chinos rather than shorts, which as I'd only just started wearing shorts was kind of a good thing. And I was still a little bit white. I have to say, um, just a little divergence I remember we were going off to the beach one weekend before we left the sails and Basil said, was Greenpeace going to be there to drag us back into the sea? Which, yeah, typical Basil, but we were what, big white whales. <laughs> well, they weren't fat, but you know what I mean. Anyway, so um, the apartment was amazing and we had, I think we were given a food budget. Like We never seemed to struggle for money, so I'm sure we did have a budget. And we were let loose in Sydney, but we couldn't, do too much mad partying because we had to be on the complex at four every morning while we were showing horses before the sale um also i thought 
but uh, as it turns out, it's quite possible to finish the sales, start drinking, keep drinking, and then maybe have half an hour sleep and then rock up to the sales the next morning. I don't. I think we all just functioned on caffeine of whatever sort was your your poison, mostly coke, um, Coca Cola, obviously. And uh, yeah, it was all great fun. Um, the horses were amazing there. Like the other thing that was quite different to the UK was the doors didn't have full grills on, like the the doors I'd experienced at sales complexes in the UK and Ireland. Uh, but none of the horses tried to climb out. No one had to have a shut door. I thought this is all very strange because. Yeah, I was used to, you know, you had to sort of shut the door for a few sort of like hours or the foals days. And yeah, no, the horses were all just very chill. I suppose it's because we spent so much time at home. They were all together. We had, I think, about four lanes of, and then we had our own showing lanes. So it wasn't like you were fighting for space like you do in Newmarket or Goffs or, or wherever. And it was all very very slick so there were people that would take cards uh, which was something I'd never seen before um people would come and see horses and they'd say which horses they want to see someone put on a card and then they bring that to whoever's in charge of showing those particular horses and then you'd be asked to you pull your horse out you had your number on so you always carried the number of the horse that you were showing and then you showed your horse in your lane and then you put it away it was very, very simple. It worked. I can't recall anything getting loose. There was a couple that kicked off, obviously. They weren't all perfect. But, no, it all went very swimmingly. And everyone just got on. Like, there were really long days. But we all just got on. And the the, the management there were amazing. Like, they did take us out for dinner and stuff like that. And, and we were treated very well. Like, every evening they gave us beers. And, you know, we knew we, we were... We'd done a good job. Um, so when it actually came to the selling itself, I'm trying to think if I took anything through. I only showed a couple of horses. And I did, I, yeah, pretty sure I did take one of them through. Again, it was a long walk from our barn up to the sales ring. The sales ring's pretty much, the pre-parade ring was standard for what you see all over the world. Uh, the chute was something that was quite unlike anything I'd seen. You stood in the chute a long time with other horses which seems to be a bit bizarre, but okay, it seems to work for them. And then you went into the sales ring, and unlike anywhere else I've ever seen, there was no barrier between you and the general members of the public. There are like picnic benches and that all around, and the horses did kick off and horses did get loose. How no one got hurt, I don't know, although I'm sure maybe they did. And I think it's different now. Well, it's definitely different because they've moved move site now it was all just very very different the especially when you had spotters shouting shrieking next to you while you were leading your horse around and then your horse would be like whoa and like disappear across the ring and but you had to hang on because it wasn't like you know tats where you know you've got the disgrace of going through the straw in the middle there you could like, literally take people out with your horse so that was a bit different, but and I'd never come across spotters either because spotters were really quite new to the UK still at that point. I don't actually recall ever even seeing them before. And the spotters will obviously spot bids, as their name suggests, but they shriek and like raise their arm to alert the auctioneer. That's their job, but it's it's quite disconcerting if your horse decides they don't like it. And that was the sales. So we just enjoyed the hospitality. We have fun. Um, it was sad to see the horses go, um, really sad, um, but that's the whole point of it. 
and so it took two weeks we were there and then we all went home again and then we had to start with the process of cleaning all the stables out which was you know it, it was good we were still there at that point because you know we followed the process through um, at this point, we were thinking about our next step. So uh, I had had an offer from Gay Waterhouse um, to work at her place in Randwick um, on the race course, riding racehorses. Um, but when I was in Sydney and I was speaking to a few different people, they suggested that Gay's wouldn't be the right place for me or Lynn, who was coming with me, obviously, because she hadn't got the best reputations and they said if I wanted to actually ride racehorses and like ride work and do things properly then I'd probably be better off going to a smaller trainer. Coolmore at that time had got a trainer that he'd been out um, in an island with Adrian O'Brien obviously one of the best racehorse trainers in the world and uh, he was setting up so we thought we'd go with him. That's for the next episode. Um, so we sorted that out and, um, yeah, we were back at the farm just tidying up. We'd been asked to stay on for the mare sale, so that was really nice. I remember, though, one incident that really stuck in my mind. Um, I was outside of the yearling barn and I was um, jet-washing the out the doors. You had to be really careful, though, because as I've spoken about, you know, the snakes and we did saw we did see a, a black snake one day. They're the ones that eat the brown snakes. And actually, we thought he was a twig in the road, or quite a large twig, because we ran him over. <laughs> and it went do do do. So yeah, it was definitely a very big black snake, probably an ex snake after we ran him over. But it wasn't really the snakes he had to be worried about. It was the insects, more specifically spiders. And before we went to Australia, I had a massive phobia of all things creepy crawly, spiders in particular. And I have to say, it probably wasn't the best place to go with such a phobia. But weirdly, it got me out of it. You know, Australia cured a lot of my little phobias, public speaking for one. And spiders was the other, because pretty much the big spiders in Australia aren't the ones that are going to kill you. It's the little buggers that you can't see. In Sydney, we'd seen quite a lot of redbacks. And I hadn't really sort of thought too much about the spiders. Like we were told, you know, leave leave your boots outside, turn them upside down so the spiders don't go in them. You'd always bang your boots out in the morning anyway because just, well, spiders, scorpions, whatever else is going to be lurking. So I was doing jet washing these stables and I stood outside and I was just aware of something biting the back of my leg and I moved the stable door and behind it was like a big nest of redbacks and I just then completely freaked out because something was biting me and it really really hurt like the most intense pain ever and I was screaming at this point and I, I'm pretty sure there was only like a couple of us around that barn but the barn was so big like probably no one actually even heard me screaming until well our manager came around the corner not Basil but his manager Adrian Adrian O'Brien and Ado was like, whoa, 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 what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And and I was like, at this point, I had literally ripped my trousers off because I thought I was just sobbing. And I was like, I've been bitten by red backs. I'm going to die. Uh, I Yeah, and what, I was actually that melodramatic. I do remember it quite intensely. And he looked at me and he was a bit shocked. And then he was like, um, no, you're stood on a nest of green ants. 
which I was. And they'd crawled up inside my trousers and were biting me. Obviously, not at all like the most pleasant experience at all anyway, because green ants are horrible, horrible things, but not as deadly as uh, standing on a nest of redbacks. So that was that. That took a little while to live down. And um, Edo, bless him, he was really, really nice. Our managers there were lovely. Him and Peter are like the most lovely people ever. And Adrian now, he works for, well, he runs a stud called Hazelwood Stud in Newmarket. And it was quite funny to meet him in the local Tesco a couple of years ago because I didn't realise he was in the UK. And there he was. And the one thing I could just think of was a stud there and the, the chicken owl was looking at him going, oh, my God, he saw me <laughs> when I ripped my trousers off because I thought I was going to die. But I'm sure all is forgiven. And he's he was very, very friendly. <laughs> but, yeah, so that was the joys of dealing with the local wildlife. The other wildlife that I didn't mention in the last episode was the galahs. And anyone who like used to watch like Neighbours, or I guess still does, I don't even know if Neighbours is still going, um, will remember the galahs and they're like sort of parakeet cockatoo type things. They have cockatoos as well. And they are just the noisiest buggers ever. Like I have never met so many no noisy birds and they would wake us up every morning. If you didn't get up early, the galahs would wake you up. And then they'd just squawk all night as well before it got dark. So, yeah, I wasn't that impressed with the Australian wildlife. And then, of course, you had to avoid running into kangaroos because they look cute, but they ruin your car. It's like hitting a deer. So you avoid them. They're also quite nasty. So you don't you don't take anything on out there. You just you just stick clear of any wildlife. So, yeah, so the next thing was we were going back to the sales again, back to Sydney with the mayors. This time, though, we weren't staying in the salubrious hotel that we stayed in the last time. We were staying in a slightly different one, which was closer to the, the complex. But again, it was it was still a, a great experience. The mayors were so easy. You know, you just dragged them about. There was one that was really old and that felt really bad that we were putting her through the sale. I'm sure she was like, 19 or 20 I think her name was Shekel and she was she was a really nice mare but I don't know the rules have changed now like you're not allowed to sell mares that old over here and I'm pretty sure over there it's the same because they've done a lot to improve like you know welfare within the thoroughbreds and and not allowing old horses to go through the sales is one thing that is key you know you, you, it's just also you can't put mares through the sale that old you should leave them at home you know do the right thing so that was all part of the sales and the joyous time that was um working for Coolmore Stad. Coolmore are known for having top consignments in Australia they don't really sell in the UK we were obviously as I'd said before like we had the last crop of Danehill so we had some very expensive horses of the horses that we had, uh, there was one particular one. He was called Prong. Uh, he was out of a mare called Prong Cocktail by Dane Hill. And actually, since I've met quite a few of his brothers and sisters, and he, at the time, I think this was when his sister had been bought and she was doing really, really well. He actually was our sales topper. He was the whole, the sales topper of the whole entire sale. And he sold for 4.6 million dollars which is a lot of money I think at the time it was around about 2.3 million pounds which was a lot of money like I know you know we're quite 
you can see like million pound horses go through sales quite regularly in England. But right back then, like there wasn't that many million pound horses at all. So having prawn cocktail was quite a big deal. And he was just like this big fat lumpy thing. He actually didn't do any good. He raced in Australia and I think he raced in South Africa as well. He's probably still there. But yeah, that was amazing. Like that was I'd never I'd never even thought of like, touching a horse worth that much money. We did have another filly that was worth a lot of money that I mentioned before, Piccadilly Circus, uh, the full sister to Fastnet Rock. She had a lot of interest and we were really excited to take her through the ring. And we were really sad because just before they were due to take her through, she got withdrawn due to medical reasons. It was nothing wrong with her. They retained her and then um, she went on to be a very good racehorse and a broodmare and... Yeah, had a great career for Coolmore, but obviously I think they wanted to see what the interest was in her. And um, actually this sort of crops up all the way through um, my sales career. And, you know, you prep these horses and you get very excited about selling them. And then their owners decide, oh, well, we've got a value on this horse now, so we're not going to sell it. We'll just bring it home. And and actually that's quite sad because you put a lot of effort in and, you know, did that horse need to do that prep? No. Is it right? I don't think so, you know, um, but yeah, so she could have been, I think she could have made even more money than, than Prawn Cocktail did, but we sold everything, nothing came home and um, it was very, very good introduction to what top class um, thoroughbreds look like. So after that, we went home and then it was time for us to pack up and leave. And uh, leaving was really quite hard. Quite a lot of other people were leaving too. Um, they were winding down for the sales season. They got maybe one or two lower grade sales left. And then the breeding season was about to start because their breeding season starts in August, uh, whereas us starts in February. Um, with the foals were we're going to be coming pretty soon so um that was our time to go um and actually that's a funny one because the the trip to sydney from jerry's plains i don't really remember much it was it's really strange what you do and you don't remember that's how it was i know i'm pretty sure that we got on a bus because that would have been the cheapest option we definitely didn't go on a car that's that's for certain but we enjoyed our time at Coolmore and um, certainly while we were there, we made full advantage of our time off that we got. And obviously the fact that we were given, you know, cars to have and um, we went everywhere. We went to um, Harvey Bay. We went to we did a wine tour. That was nice. Um, Newcastle. We went all around the coast there, which is absolutely stunning. And if anyone ever goes there, like you, definitely, definitely need to explore the coast. So we were really glad that Cornwall gave us that opportunity to do that. And then that was that. We went off to Sydney's. The next step for us was to go to Matt Smith's racing yard. He was just setting up. And he had uh, a small yard that was just on the edges of a place called Warwick Farm in Sydney, which is a big racetrack. It's one of the biggest metropolitan tracks that there is. The way it works in Australia is that, um, unlike here, the trainers all train on the track. They go to the racetrack to train every day, a bit like in America. Well, very much like in America. The stables are all sort of in the surrounding suburbs. Um, what we didn't realise at the time was just how suburban it was. Um, if you think like your local council estate and then in the back gardens, there'd be 20 horses. That's pretty much what Warwick Farm was like. It was the most bizarre thing like that I've 
ever seen and most of the Australian metropolitan racing is like that so yeah so we set off to go and see him we were promised the world and um did we get it I'll let you decide but you have to wait till next week for that one so thank you for listening for this the ninth episode I can't even believe that we're here at episode nine I hope you're still enjoying it it's a little bit shorter because there wasn't quite as much to get in and the racing scene is, yeah, that's the next exciting part. And we're nearly to the end of this series. So I hope that you like the season one of the Only Foles and Racehorses podcast. And, you know, we will have a little break before season two. So make sure you, you don't forget to listen to these last couple of episodes. And at this point, we'd absolutely love some feedback. So just let me know if you're enjoying it, what you want to hear more of. And then I'll see whether I can sort that out. So um, look forward to seeing you next week for the racing episode.